If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 again. If you don't have a Bible with you, take a hold one of those in the pew in front of you. We're going to be on page 1030. We're going to be looking at the final letter in the seven letters to the seven churches, the seven calls for the committed church. I have a tough question. How many of you are familiar? How many of you are familiar with the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Has anyone anyone heard the story of Little Red Riding Hood? I think, I think Matt, you're wearing red today. If you want to come up and act it out, or Pat, you're wearing red. You can come on up and we can act it all out for you. But Little Red Riding Hood. I think most of us are familiar with the story. Diminutive female child is sent on a mission with a basket of food to travel through the forest to take, uh, to take this basket of food to her ailing grandmother. And before she leaves, she is given specific instructions. Don't dilly-dally, and under no circumstances, don't what? Don't stop and talk to... You guys don't know the story? Don't stop and talk to... Strangers. Don't stop and talk to strangers. So she sets off through the forest, you know, skipping along with her basket. And what does she meet? She meets a talking wolf who is a stranger to her. And he says, Where are you going with that basket, little red riding hood? And she says, Well, I'm off to the cottage of my grandmother who's not feeling well. The wolf says, Well, good on you. Nice girl. Keep going. He sneaks up, hurries up, gets to grandma's cottage, eats grandma up. And disguises himself as her, and you remember the rest of the story. Grandma, what big eyes you have. Grandma, what big ears you have. Grandma, what big teeth you have. All the better to eat you with, my dear. And then the woodsman rushes into the cottage with his axe. He kills the wolf, somehow miraculously freeing grandmother from his belly. And they all live happily ever after. Right. That's the sermon. Goodbye. See you next week. Except that's not how the story originally went. In the original story, the wolf devours Grandma permanently. And he devours Little Red Riding Hood permanently. There is no woodsman to rush in and save the day because you see, the original Little Red Riding Hood story was what we call a cautionary tale. It's a story that we tell children that provides a lesson or a warning. And the lesson here is don't talk to strangers. Children, especially attractive, well-bred young ladies, should never talk to strangers. For if they do so, they may well provide dinner for a wolf. It's a very important lesson. And for centuries, parents used cautionary tales to warn children, don't misbehave, because if you misbehave, there are consequences. We continue to use cautionary tales. A lot of them take the form of urban legends, like the young couple out on Lover's Lane, and the warning comes over the radio of the crazed killer with the hook for the hand. Remember that one? And this was what happens to you if you go out. Or the story of the young lady driving home one dark night, and she stopped, and then she gets back in her car, and there's the person behind her flashing his headlights because there's the axe murderer in the back seat. Or the story that my mother used to tell me, which was, if you keep making that face, it will stick. And you will look like that the rest of your life. Those are cautionary tales that we tell 
our children. We warn them, don't make the same mistake or you'll end up dead or worse. So for about 2,000 years now, the church has approached the letter to the church in Laodicea as a cautionary tale. This is what happens if you let your love grow cold. This is what happens if you stop living out your faith. This is what happens if you ignore the truth. This is what happens if you compromise, if you fail to live authentically, if you forget the mission of the church. This is what happens. This is the culmination of everything a church can do wrong. And just like Little Red Riding Hood or any other cautionary tale, there is a lesson here. Our worship of God must take first place in our lives or something else will. So we're looking at Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14 and going to verse 22. Again, page 1030. We'd love to have you follow along in those Bibles. Where was Laodicea? It's about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, which is the church we looked at last week. It was about 100 miles from Ephesus, which is the church we looked at in the first week. Three highways converged in Laodicea. By the way, this is a freebie. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But that's where we get the word trivia. Three highways, three vias, three ways. When the three ways came together, people would stand there and they would talk about nothing. They would talk about what was going on in this town and that town and this town over here. That's where trivia. That's free. You don't have to. That's not in the sermon at all. That's totally free today, right there. That's where we get that. And so trivial things were discussed in Laodicea. Uh, it was a place where three highways came together. It was the wealthiest city in the area financially. This city was doing great. But you know, Jesus calls us. And He calls the church to be the light of the world, right? We are to hold up the light of Christ. We are to be known by shining the light of Christ. But as we read this letter, we realize that the church in Laodicea stopped being a light for Christ and they started being a reflection of what was going on in Laodicea. They started becoming a reflection of their surroundings. They assumed room temperature. <laughs> they went with the flow that was happening there in Laodicea. We're looking again, beginning in Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from Me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, and also as I also conquered 
and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We approach this letter as a cautionary tale. Then we have to ask, what went wrong? What does this letter warn us about if we have ears to hear? And the first thing this letter warns us of is not to give in to the seduction of the status quo. The average person who knows a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about Revelation, if you mention the church in Laodicea, they will say that's the church that was lukewarm because they remember that in verses 15 and 16, that this is the church that was lukewarm. Laodicea was a city that had everything. They had everything in Laodicea. They had gold. They had clothes. They had hospitals in Laodicea. They did wonderful things in Laodicea. But the one thing they didn't have was the one thing they needed most. They didn't have any water. They got their water from a little creek and every year that creek would dry up and just turn to mud and you couldn't drink out of that. It was nasty. And so they had to have their water piped in through aqueducts six miles away. Six miles away, there was a hot spring. And so they set up aqueducts to, to bring that water into the city. But after that six-mile-long trip, by the time that water from that hot spring got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And it was kind of nasty. It was tepid. It was awful. And when Jesus says, I want to spit you out of my mouth, He's not just saying spit. He's saying, you make me sick. The water in Laodicea was known to make people throw up. It was good for nothing. Verse 15, Jesus says, you are neither cold nor hot. I want you to hear that correctly. We make the mistake of hearing that as Jesus saying, cold is bad and hot is good. We, we hear that and we say, Jesus is saying, I either want you to be cold, I want you to be so cold-hearted you're not interested in Me, or I want you to be hot, I want you to be on fire, but if you're lukewarm, if you're half and half, I don't want anything to do with you. That's not what He's saying at all. That's not His point. Hot and cold are both refreshing. I got up this morning, I had a hot cup of coffee. Very refreshing. And on a hot day, I'll have a cold glass of iced tea. Very refreshing, right? Cold drink, that's refreshing. Hot bath? Anyone, anyone want a lukewarm bath? No. Hot bath, very, very refreshing. But lukewarm, what's it do? Nothing. It tastes awful. You can't bathe in it. You can't drink it. It is worthless. And Jesus says, that's you, Laodicea. That is you. You've surrendered to the temperature of your surroundings. You're no longer refreshing to me. You're no longer invigorating. In fact, you are useless. And bluntly, he says, you make me want to throw up. But Laodicea, they felt everything was fine just the way it was. They were comfortable. They were complacent. The, the status quo in Laodicea, the status quo, it was very, very quo. Okay, Their status was very, very quo. They were a wealthy city. They had everything that you could want. They were wealthy. They were prosperous. But how does Jesus see them? In verse 17, he says, You say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Do you remember Smyrna, the second city we looked at, the second letter? Back there in, in chapter 2, verse 9, to the letter in the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your tribulations and I know your poverty. But he says, But you are rich. 
Jesus saw the heart of the church in Smyrna, and He saw what they couldn't see about themselves, that even in their poverty, they had riches in Christ. He sees the heart of the church in Laodicea, and He says, you don't realize that you are poor. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And every statement in that, all of those statements are indictments against their culture, against their community, against their commerce, against the things that they took pride in. How does Jesus see us? Is He impressed with what we have? Is He impressed with with what we've built? Does Jesus see what we own? Or does Jesus see the things that own us? There's a seduction in our world to be satisfied, to be complacent, that says everything is fine just the way it is. Don't rock the boat. But if anything we can provide for ourselves satisfies us, then we are not relying on Jesus. And at that moment, we have stopped worshiping God and we have started worshiping what we have. And that's the second cautionary tale for Laodicea. He warns us of our pride in what we can provide for ourselves. You hear it there in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. <laughs> little tip here. May not be a good idea to tell Jesus you need nothing. Okay? May not be a good idea to say, Jesus, no thank you, I'm fine, I need nothing. It, it may actually be a good idea to tell Jesus, I need you. I need you more than anything else. But that's Laodicea. The city was very proud of what they had, what they had provided for themselves. Last week we looked at Philadelphia, and you remember in A.D. 17, Philadelphia had been wiped out by an earthquake. And the Roman government, you know, their, their version of disaster emergency services, FEMA came in, and FEMA said, don't worry, Philadelphia, we're going to rebuild your city. And they rebuilt their city, and they did it even better, and they liked it so much, they named it after themselves. Remember that, A.D. 17? Well, A.D. 60... An earthquake hit Laodicea. And again, FEMA shows up and FEMA says, don't worry, we're going to rebuild your city for you. And Laodicea said to the Roman government, no thank you. We'll do it ourselves. We don't need your help. We are wealthy enough. We are rich enough. We will rebuild our own city. And they did. That attitude worked its way into the church. Do you hear it? I need nothing. Jesus says, but you're poor. And you don't even realize that you're poor. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see every one of those things, gold, fine garments, and salve. Every one of those things could be provided for. Every one of those things could be bought, purchased, in Laodicea. They were proud of all of those things, and Jesus attacks their self-reliance. Gold in Laodicea was the finest gold you would find. It had been re refined. It was so pure. White garments, they had a clothing industry in Laodicea that would just top anything that you can imagine today. Anything you could buy, any place, the finest places you could go. You know, Walmart, that's where I go. But you know, that any place else you could go, even better than that, they had better clothes than we would have today. Salve for your eyes. 
They had hospitals in Laodicea with doctors that specialized in eyes. Get this in your... How many of you have had cataract surgery? Anyone here had cataract surgery? Look at that. Danny's got his hand up. He can actually see my hand now because of his cataract surgery. While Jesus was out on the Judean hillside restoring sight to the blind and the poor through the power of God, the rich were going to Laodicea and they were performing cataract surgery in the time of Christ in Laodicea. Cataract surgery. Can you imagine? They were doing cataract surgery. They also had this salve in Laodicea that would restore sight. Whatever the problem was with your eyes, you went to Laodicea, you went to the doctor, you made an appointment, they gave you this salve. You put it on your eyes and your sight was restored. They were so proud of that salve. They were so proud of what they had come up with that no one wrote the recipe down. Kind of like the Colonel's 11 herbs and spices, you know, that nobody wrote the recipe down for the salve in Laodicea. And when the city was destroyed and the city was lost, the city, the, the, the salve was lost with it. There's a pile of rocks in Laodicea yet. Someone needs to invest some money, a few million dollars, and, and start excavating. And, and you know, when, when you take archaeology classes, suggest that for your project. Uh, you know, they need to start ex- excavating Laodicea. And when they do, they might find the salve. They might be able to tell us exactly what was in it. But they were healing problems with the eyes. But look at what Jesus says. He says, you need to buy salve for me because you're blind and you don't even know it. There's a difference between taking pride in what we've been blessed with and taking credit for what we've been blessed with. Can you see the difference? We've been blessed with a lot. We really have. But the moment you and I take credit for it, we are confronted with our poverty. The riches that we have here are nothing compared to the riches that we have in Christ. And any sense of purity and perfection that you can find in yourself is just filthy rags compared to Jesus. The reality is, if we think we can do it for ourselves, we are blind. We are deceiving ourselves. And one way or another, Jesus will open our eyes. We will worship something. Whether it's God or our possessions or or even ourselves, our own pride. If our worship of God does not take first place in our lives, something else will. The people of Laodicea thought they had it so good. From the outside, that looked like they did. But what Jesus had to show them was what they couldn't see for themselves because they were blinded. They couldn't see what it was really costing them. Where did it go wrong? This cautionary tale also shows us the deception of devotion to this world. The deception of devotion to this world. If you had to say something positive about Laodicea, it would be this. They weren't suffering. As a church, they weren't suffering. Back in Smyrna, they were experiencing what Jesus calls tribulation. And He promises them that more tribulation and more trials are coming. In Pergamum, one of their members, a man named Antiochus, had already been martyred for his faith and more were coming. Back in Philadelphia, there were people who were lying about them, lying about what they did and what that church was about. None of that is happening in Laodicea. They were living in peace with the culture around them. They were living in peace in their city. They were living in peace with Rome. Everything was peaceful. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing when we're living at peace 
with the culture around us, when we've assumed the same temperature as the culture around us, that's, that's not a good thing. Don't pray for easier days. Don't pray for easier days. Pray for stronger backs. Pray for stronger faith. Pray for the strength to stand in opposition to this world so that we don't give in to this world and assume the temperature of this world. Verse 19, he says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You know, as hopeless as this letter is, he has nothing good to say about this church at all. As hopeless as this letter is, don't miss this, Jesus still loved them. He still loved these people. Do you remember the first letter to the church in Ephesus? He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first... You can say it. Love, right? You've abandoned your first love. Does Jesus ever abandon you? No. Jesus never stops loving you. He is crazy about you. And that's seen here in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now that sounds like tough love to me. And sometimes we have to have tough love with our kids and with the people that we love a lot. He says, those whom I love, I reprove. What does it mean to reprove someone? It means that you are going to convict them. You are going to show them that they are wrong in the things that they are doing. He says, those whom I love, I reprove, I convict them, and I discipline them. Don't hear discipline as punishment. Don't hear it as pain. It's not about the pain. It's about the lesson. But sometimes, God has to get our attention. Do you ever have to get your kids' attention? Do you ever have to get in their face and say, do I have your attention now? Yeah? You've been there? Okay. It's not just me. Good. That's what God's saying to Laodicea. Do I have your attention? Again, it's a cautionary tale. It's meant to teach us something. We're meant to learn from it so that we can fix what's wrong. And the response He calls for is wonderful. He says, so be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Be enthusiastic. Be 100% sold out to Me. The world asks you to be 100% sold out to them, but they offer you no promises. There's no hope, no relationship, no blessing. Jesus says, be enthusiastic. Be sold out to Me. Verse 20 is one of the most famous references in this letter. You've heard it in songs. You've seen it in paintings. And I know you've heard it in sermons. Verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with Me. I want you to understand this. Verse 20 is written to Christians. It's written to Christians. It's not written to non-Christians. Too often we hear that verse and we hear it as evangelistic. Do you know what I mean? That it's written for non-Christians. It's written as an evangelistic call to come to Christ. And we will tell people, friends, sinners, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and He knocks and He wants to come into your heart. He wants you to let Him in. Won't you just let Jesus into your heart as we stand and we sing this song? Just let Jesus into your heart. The song's not written to non-Christians. 
That song's written to Christians. That's, or that, that, that verse is written to a church, not to non-Christians. It's written to a church. A church that is so far gone that Jesus has left the building. And this verse is for Christians. And, and He's saying, you've stopped your devotion to Me and, and you've taken up this devotion to the world. And so Jesus has stepped out. <laughs> probably so He could throw up. Probably because He's sick of you. But he wants back in and he's knocking. And he says there in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You know, if I get done in time, some of you are going to go to the buffet, right? Going to go to the buffet? Maybe? No, you're not taking the family? Okay. Sometimes you go to the buffet. And you stand there at the buffet and you're rubbing elbows with people you've never met before. And you wonder about those elbows. And you wonder about those people. And you're thankful for the sneeze guard over the buffet. Because you look closely at who's there. And you don't know those people. And they hand you food and they hand you this and they hand you that. That's not how they did it in those days. The only people you ate with in those days were people you were in fellowship with. There was no buffet. You didn't go to restaurants and sit there with a bunch of other people that you'd never met. The only people you ate with were friends that you were close to, family members, people you were in fellowship with. And hear what Jesus wants. I want to come in. And I want to share a meal with you. It was an intimate thing. John chapter 14, the night before Jesus died, John 14, verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come and eat with him. What's the greatest expression of our union with Christ and our union with each other? It's what we do around this table every week. Because in that culture and in our culture, this continues to be that sign of devotion and relationship. We come to the table together because we're in relationship with each other in relationship with Christ. That's what Jesus wants for you. What could this world have that would possibly compare? As bad as things were in Laodicea, there were still promises for those who conquer. He says in verse 21, the one, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. I think that's something we can't miss as we've looked at all seven of these churches. As we've examined the, the seven calls for the committed church. In Ephesus, there was the call to love. In Smyrna, there's the call to see that suffering is not punishment. That suffering is there to strengthen your faith. In Pergamum, it was the call for the truth. In Thyatira, it was a call to holiness. In Sardis, it was a call to live an authentic Christian life where the inside matches what's on the outside. And in Philadelphia, it was the call to fulfill the mission before us that is to make Christ known in our world. And in each letter, there was a promise to those who conquered, to those who did that. And even here in Philadelphia, or excuse me, here in Laodicea, a church about which Jesus has nothing good to say. There is the promise and the potential for overcoming, for conquering. There's hope. You know, the fact is, you might be sitting here today, and you might be feeling very far from God. 
And you might be thinking, lukewarm, that describes me. You know, that, that describes me perfectly. I am lukewarm. My commitment to Christ is not hot. It's not cold. There is nothing about my commitment that would refresh Jesus. I have nothing good to offer Him. And you might be realizing that the, the zeal, the excitement that you once felt is gone. And in fact, you might, you might think of some of the things that you've done. You might be at that point where you realize that some of the things that you've done might even make Jesus sick. That He may have to leave and take care of something because He can't stand to be in your presence. And Maybe you're wondering if you should just give up. There's still a call to conquer. The call to conquer is still there. The call is to turn, to repent. Remember, repent means to change your mind because if you change your mind, you will change your actions. You will change the end of your story. To repent, to come home. And the promise is a Savior who desperately wants in your life. He wants to be in your life and He wants you in the life of His church. And when we're faithless, He remains faithful. When we forget to love, He puts us first. And He stands ready to welcome Him. To welcome us. To the One who has ears to hear. Let Him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Stand with me as we pray. Father, for seven weeks now, we've looked at Your Son's really His final words to His church. We've heard the call to put love first. We've been comforted in knowing that You are even there in the midst of our suffering. And When we, we heard Your call for us to hold to the truth, to live lives of holiness and authenticity, and we've known Your encouragement and Your power as we seek to fulfill the mission You've called us to, to make Your Son known in our world and in our community. As we've opened our Bibles to Laodicea today, we've seen that our greatest danger isn't out there, it's in here. Our greatest danger is our own tendency to walk away from You and to seek what we can do and provide for ourselves. Lord, we would be foolish not to admit that we felt that pull. The pull to a mediocre commitment, the pull to lukewarmness in our faith and in our church. And so today, we dig in our heels and we place ourselves in complete reliance and devotion to You. And if there is any way that we have removed Your Son from our lives or our fellowship, we open that door today and we welcome Him into our lives, into our hearts, and into His church. And I pray that we, that we will be a testimony of a church that has ears that are ready to listen, hearts ready to give, and hands ready to do the work of Your Son to His glory. And it is in the name of Jesus, the One who calls Himself the Amen. That means He gets the final word on our lives lord the final word isn't what we're feeling today the final word isn't what we did last week or last month the final word is jesus he gets the final word in our lives the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of your creation it's in his name that we pray amen